Welcome, everybody. So um, when we do these interviews, like I hate doing the, the, you know, I mean, everybody knows hit like and subscribe. I'm not. Yeah, there you go. I'm not. So, Pat, you Patrick, you do something very interesting. You only open Coffin Nation occasionally so that you don't have to ask for and do a grift at the beginning of every interview. Is that that's why you do that? Right. Well, uh, the you might be referring to the podcast, uh, the Patrick Coffin Show. Uh, which has been going since 2016 when I left uh, the previous employer that she'll remain nameless, although it is Catholic <laughs> Answers Live. <laughs> uh, so uh, I've got, uh, I don't know, 390 shows in the can. And I just, I'm trying to have mercy on my audience. So when I first started, I had this elaborate, semi-pompous, uh, overproduced music with a voiceover. La, la. If you're a regular <laughs> listener, you hate that crap. You just, okay, yeah. show me the beef, right? So no. I've, I've streamlined it. Um, people pretty much know the routine about hit like and subscribe. But um, then I, I organized the second of a summit series called Truth Over Fear with uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., whom I've interviewed three times. And now he's running for president. It's crazy. Um, Dr. Peter McCullough, the late Zev Zelenko, um, uh, Dr. Ryan Cole, uh, attorney Reiner Fulmick, all the people that were fighting against the, the COVID uh can I say bullshittery? Is that wrong? Yeah, yeah, sorry. No, go for it. it. Yeah. Um, it's too late. Welcome to live broadcast. And for that, I got a permanent ban from YouTube after we launched um, like an hour into it, emailed. I got an email from from uh, from YouTube QT saying that I was uh, I'm, I'm gone in violation of their own terms. So uh, I'm not litigious minded. Uh, I have I've been around the legal uh, Mulberry Bush a couple of times, but we just decided to move on to Rumble and other platforms. So, you know, forget YouTube. You don't, people, if, if Catholics are not getting banned by YouTube, there's something going wrong. So I always well, encourage we've, we've go, been go, trying go to that. work. We've been trying to work around like certain things. So like when we speak about the people of the old covenant, we've, we've been calling them Amish because we figure the Amish don't have technology. So there's they won't no, get mad. They won't get mad. And there's no anti-Amish defamation league. There's no, so we just refer to them as Amish. So far, we've only gotten uh, two strikes. One of them we were able to get rescinded. So we're skirting a very fine line. And then I'm pretty sure eventually we're going to wind up over at Rumble. But so um, I really wanted to get you on, Patrick, because I've been since my reversion. And I I mean, I'd say maybe 07. I've, I've been following your work, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I followed you over at. Uh, Catholic answers, but you really came into your own when you started doing interviews, like on your own platform. And I yeah. admired your interview style more than I, I. I would even say you're one of the best interviewers in media, not just Catholic media. Oh, well, the thank, you, of, Anthony. thank you. Yeah, the amount of prep you do is like you thoroughly read the book before you bring somebody on even during um the COVID thing that you were just speaking about all these people that went crazy when uh joe rogan had a few people on like they Mm -hmm. were on your platform first yeah you you really made these people known and then they would go on these bigger platforms and everybody would make a big stink out of it yeah and nobody stood taller than you did during COVID. like well thank you yeah Mr. Rogan deserves a, uh, he, he needs to write me a check for all the heavy, <laughs> the heavy hitters that I, um, I mean, I'm, I'm joking. I'm, I, I want, Obviously. I want, I want them to be, I want there to be a hundred Patrick Coffin shows and Joe Rogan's. So this is not about protecting the fiefdom. I'm, I'm honored that people, uh, bounce from me to somewhere else. And, uh, you know, Joe Rogan, uh, Joe Rogan has, has, uh, broken a lot of ceilings and has kind of, um, deconstructed some myths about podcasts. And this is something I, I had a 
some conversations with with Milo Yiannopoulos. Milo came back after his fall from grace in 2017 or so on my show. I, I'd never talked to him before. And that was over two hours. And then we did another show, three hours, 52 minutes. And I said, Milo, it's too long. People's attention span is, it's not true. <laughs> Movies are longer. Books are longer. It's not true. If your stuff's good, they're going to keep listening to it. And uh, he's right. And Rogan's, I think his average is like three hours. And if you don't yeah. have time at moment, then you go back and you treat it like, um, you know, something episodic. Mm-hmm. So um, great. Like, so like I, even as our show develops, it's like I had to make decisions based on like, okay, do you want to play this? Do you want to play this safe? Or do you just want to have conversations with people you find very interesting? Mm-hmm. And that's the route I'm trying to take just people that I find very interesting. And I think that are really good at conversations. I know I'm going to catch heat. I mean, the, I caught more heat for having Tim Gordon on than anybody. I think because oh, Tim is, you know, Tim is Tim and he, he says things in a certain way, but um, the, the, the past few weeks I've just watched everybody come down on you where it, it was a strange thing. Cause even uh, Matt Frad had Calvin Robinson on. And mm-hmm. Calvin Robinson mentioned your book on contraception in that interview. Yeah. And Matt Frad seemed to recoil. And he said, uh, well, I, you know, I, I used to have this friend. Well, I suppose he's still my friend. And I just see that how everybody is afraid to be associated with somebody who holds a different opinion than them mm-hmm. on the current situation we're in. And it's a, and it's a strange thing for me to witness. The magic word is associated. Uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ wasn't afraid to be associated with hookers and the worst sinners. He, he knew he was not going to be ideologically tainted because he spent time with or interacted with people with whom he had nothing in common. Uh, I'm a Catholic, so I believe in logos. I believe yeah. in discourse, dialogue, debate, discussion. Let's let the marketplace of ideas filter things out. Um, adults don't like censorship. So the, what happened with the, the Hope is Fuel uh, Catholic on Purpose course is something you and I have talked a little bit about offline, and that's mimetic desire. Um, we can get into that a little bit. But I definitely people, want to. Yeah, people, it, it, it explains office gossip. It explains the scapegoating mechanism. It explains overnight lineups for, for stupid movie um, premieres. It explains, um, you know, Black Friday hysteria. This is all mimetic desire. And people get on a bandwagon. And when they hear the words, oh, I don't want to be associated with X, they give X all this power rather than burst the bubble and say, hey, like, I don't, it doesn't, I don't need to get personal because a lot of the people who backed out, sadly, were friends of mine. Like, yeah. you, you have my number. Yeah. Why are you accepting what's, what is said of me and actually leaving the event that you already, com- A, you committed to it and we, you did an outstanding interview? I really, you want yeah. me to, do- okay, I'll take it off. No problem. But um. Yeah, the associated. If I had to agree with everyone uh, with the, with whom I shared a platform at a conference, um, I couldn't get on an airplane. My yeah. that would be it. So it's a, it's a strange yeah. thing because I mean, in my regular life, I'm friends with atheists. I'm friends mm-hmm. with. I mean, I have Muslim friends. I, I work at a company. I don't disassociate from somebody because they have a different ideology or a different opinion on. So, like, really, what yeah. irked me about this whole thing the movement against you is I assumed it was the Dawn Edens and Mike Lewis's is what I assumed. But John Mm -hmm. Zmirak came out and wrote an article and admitted in the article that I've been running around calling people. And I'm like, well, John Zmirak, you 
you are of like um you you are constantly on Eric Metaxas' show, which I like Eric Metaxas, but if you asked Eric Metaxas his uh idea of like what his opinion on the Pope is, what do you think that would be? So why is it a problem to to be associated with Patrick but not Eric Metaxas? It makes no sense. How about define the terms of your complaint? How about invite me on your show and debate me? Yeah. If I'm wrong on anything. I want to know about it. What's one of the great things about being Catholic is you, you get to be corrected. You don't have to keep inventing the wheel. I'm not the magisterium. I've got a laptop. I've got my dog scout. I've got some research skills and I'm very, very curious. And um, just open the lines of communication. But that takes a little bit of courage. And most people, well, let me finish this sentence by mentioning uh, a guest who's one of my favorites happens to be Jewish, happens to be the Democrat operative, Dr. Uh, Naomi Wolf, who is one of the outstanding uh, figures in fighting all this tyranny and the digital ID stuff. Naomi Wolf called all of it early uh, in terms of, look, this, the digital ID and all the passport stuff has nothing to do with your health, nothing to do with COVID and everything to do with gathering data on you. She wrote a Substack that I always send people to. It's called, I'm not brave, you're a pussy. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. So, Naomi Wolf, first off, that interview. Okay, we have we have to really because the the interviews you do are so outstanding. I I did not even know who E. Michael Jones was. I I had heard of him in you know in passing as a Catholic, but I never really under like understood any of his work until I saw you interview him. After watching mm -hmm. you interview him on Logos Rising, I went and bought Logos Rising. I then went and bought Libido Dominandi. I then went and bought uh, Baron Metal. E. Michael Jones is one of the most brilliant thinkers in the Catholic world. Now, I don't agree with him on everything. And even the label he's getting of an anti-Semite, I just think that people love to throw labels on something and they're not really even listening to what the man is actually saying. I don't believe mm -hmm. he's never encouraged any kind of like violence of any kind. He's never encouraged any kind of retaliation of any kind. He's really mm -hmm. just explaining what happens when you reject Logos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's true. Yeah. yeah, it's like there's even a cat. There's a caveat on the website, hopusfield.com. Mm -hmm. uh, please note, disclaimer, uh, none of these speakers are, are presumed to agree with Patrick Coffin or with any of the other speakers here uh, on this course. Uh, apparently not enough. Um, yeah. So th so not only the the EMJ thing, but also that I, the accusation that I'm a state of a contest. This one's really funny because I kept saying, here's why I'm not a state of a contest. And the reply, the the reply to the Twitter mob was, uh, only a set of a contest would deny he's a set of a contest. <laughs> you say the contest. <laughs> so I just decided I, I wrote an email, basically a, an apology email for some of the pride tainted replies that I was making. And uh, uh, someone I respect a lot who I, I don't want to name because he would. He would he's very humble, but he gave me an image of the way I was responding reminded him of Peter taking his sword out during the garden when Jesus is getting arrested. And I've really been, I took that to prayer and I've given a lot of thought to that little scene. So Jesus later in Luke's gospel says, Hey, look, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy a sword. So he's endorsing uh, carry, right? Jesus is not a pacifist. Mm -hmm. And so when the temple guards arrived, they're armed to the, to the hilt with pardon the metaphor with swords so Peter's there. He's got a sword. Jesus never told him to not never carry a sword. He's he's wearing a sword. 
He sees these guys come in. There's Judas. He knows it's going down. Peter's like, not on my watch. He draws the sword. Game on. I'm not going to let you arrest him. Takes a whack at Malchus's head, slices his ear off. And our Lord at this point heals Malchus's ear and then says, Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Why would Jesus say that? Isn't it courageous of Peter to, dr- to draw his sword? Yes, it is. But Jesus' message to Peter in that moment is, your enemies want you to fight a certain way. You don't have to fight the way your enemies want you to fight. Because in that moment, our Lord knew that in about 18 hours from that moment, he was going to be hanging on a cross for three hours. And that was going to be the final victory that didn't involve a sword. In fact, it involved an apparent catastrophic failure. Our faith is based on an apparent catastrophic failure. And from that moment, I put my sword back. No more snarky replies. No more explaining that I'm not a state of a contest. No more defending. And that's when I had really great peace. And I just okay, left I got, all of it into God's, God's hands. I got two things from that whole thing. Okay. First off, Patrick, I love your – you are one of my favorite people to listen to have a conversation. You're also one of the Thanks. most awful people on Twitter I've ever encountered. Like Thank your, you. your text <laughs> Thank you. So a gift. It's a gift. My, my, my favorite one would reply to pretty much everything that I despise, just gay. Dude, you're so bad. Like everything. And I love you. That's the funny mm-hmm. thing. It's like I you're somebody who I enjoy listening to so much. And then when I see you on Twitter, I'm like, I don't know if he knows how bad he's coming off here or what. <laughs> it's like he's just awful at Twitter. But certified the, bad on Twitter. Yeah. The other thing I want to say is though, so we had a, a guy named Joshua Charles on with us the other day, who is Mike Pence's former speechwriter, uh, New mm-hmm. York Times bestselling author. And we've been talking a lot about the, uh, so, okay, this is, uh, you, you've been speaking to Dr. Edward, Edward Mazza, yep. right? You've had conversation. Now, do you hold to his whole catacomb thesis or really just uh, the, the resignation thesis with him? Uh, this is a um, uh, very complicated uh, question because <laughs> the answer requires a little bit of backdrop. Uh, I interviewed Dr. Mazza in September, 2021, I think. And I had been working just trying to connect dots about Bergoglio for a couple of years because I was weirded out. I was weirded out from night number one when he came onto the loggia with those weird glasses and his little bland hand and saying, bueno sera. And there over his left shoulder is Conrad, uh, excuse me, Cardinal Gottfried Daniels, who was a homosexualist pro-abortion uh, prelate mm-hmm. who destroyed the church in Antwerp, Belgium. One of the St. Gallen Mafia. In fact, he's the one who, who gave it the nickname, the St. Gallen Mafia. I thought, why... Why is this guy invited onto this global photo op? And then, of course, we're off to the races. Oh, he wears brown shoes. He's really humble. Not those mean red shoes that Pope Benedict had. And then him uh, allying himself with all the enemies of Christ. And um, I mean, it's a long list of things that I began to be very troubled about. But then one inciting incident was the decision on the part of Bergoglio to remove the vicar of Christ from the annuario, the, the Vatican's yearbook in 2020, I thought, okay, I can't square the circle. He doesn't want to be called Vicar of Christ. So when I, as, when I began to learn the history of antipopes, and I, here's a pope, in our, an, a pope in our own era renouncing the term, I thought, well, maybe he, maybe he knows he's not the pope, or maybe he yeah. thinks he is, but he's not. That's, that's what led me to um, put all, a whole bunch of data together, and I was happy to do a video that ruined my life as a Catholic, made me a pariah called Seven Pieces of Evidence that Francis is an Antipope. And um, 
I learned a lot from, from Dr. Maza. He's a very, he's a very, um, he's a clear thinker. He's humble. He's funny. He can quote uh, all kinds of pop culture, flotsam and jetsam. So I agree with him that the, the resignation by Pope Benedict was not valid. Where I disagree with him and some other people in the, the B, I was going to call it the BIP, but I guess it would be BWP. Benedict was Pope, was Pope, is that I don't believe that he did it by accident. I don't think there was a, there was a substantial error in his phrasing of the Declaratio. The Declaratio is the two-paragraph document that Benedict wrote on his walnut desk, took him two weeks. He's got a pen. Uh, this is a man who thought and dreamed and lectured in Latin for decades at the PhD level. There's no way that he would resign the papacy without resigning the office of the papacy. And the magic word he needed to use, according to Canon 332.2, is munus, which yep. means gift or office. He does not renounce it. Unlike Richard Milhouse Nixon, who did renounce the office of the presidency in one sentence, you can see the PDF online. That's a legitimate resignation. And I keep saying, don't believe what Patrick Coffin says. Who cares what my opinion is? But at least follow the canons of uh, the Catholic Church because they're binding. And... Um, that's this is we can go well, off into well, the, the reason I was asking is because Dr. Mazza holds that Benedict was the restrainer spoken of in Thessalonians. Yeah, the Cajetan. Yeah, I, I right, he, he's a, a restrainer. I agree with that thesis. That, that, right. So now Joshua Charles comes on with us the other day and he made a, a he, so look, even if I may not agree with the resignation thing, and I'm not saying I don't, I'm saying I'm a lay person, a high school dropout. I'm not smart enough to make this decision. But what Benedict did seemed very intentional that he was laying down the sword, just like you spoke about in the garden, right? Like it mm -hmm. seemed like he was laying down the sword and because he even spoke of having this prayer experience mm -hmm. before he had the resignation, almost like Christ was telling him, lay down your sword and allow what's going to happen to happen. And it, it's something that really kind of clicked on me. And it, and like, like you were just saying, he's a restrainer, not the restrainer. And mm -hmm. I see something very symbolically important also in Paul VI laying down his tiara, where there's something about the papacy being a restraining force against evil in our midst. And, th and that was a conversation that we just had with Joshua Charles. That's why I was, I was curious, especially when you brought that, st the, that specific story up between Jesus and Peter in the garden. It's just mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these things are very striking. I think you're right that Benedict, whether he was successful in his resignation or not, his intention was to only resign part mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, he did resign the ministerium. But I don't believe it was a result of, a, of an internal subjective error that he carried in his mind that the papacy could be bifurcated between monist and ministerium. You don't need that thesis to explain what he did. You just need to read what he wrote. And what he wrote lacks the proper canonical form for a valid resignation. That's the kill shot. I don't care so much about the St. Gallen Mafia and the canonical crimes of the, of the conclave. We could do nine hours just on that, on the the. the the crimes they committed that they brag about publicly are explicitly condemned by John Paul II in 1996 in an apostolic constitution called University Dominici Gregis. Again, don't believe Patrick Coffin, but I mean, yeah. section 79 to 81 of UDG lays down the penalty for doing this. And the penalty is automatic excommunication for the people who schmooze and treat the papal office like a political office, uh, vote block and so on, politic. And, the, yeah. and also the man who assents to it. All are, would be excommunicated. But you don't even need that. I agree with that, but you don't need it because the kill shot is upstream.
and that is the Declaratio. It's even misnamed, Anthony. One, one more horse out of the barn. It should have been yeah. called the, the Renunciatio. Yeah. So uh, I would recommend if people are avid readers and they're curious about this, to check out The Ratzinger Code by Andrea Cionci, C-I-O-N-C-I. Cionci is an Italian uh, researcher, art historian, and he analyzed every line of what Pope Benedict said after February 2013. And he finds in it ample evidence that the Holy Father was spoken kind of parables. He never lies. He uses some mental reservations. For instance, Peach Dewald asks him in 2016, uh, uh, Holy Father, um, some people are, are upset by your resignation. They, they claim that you didn't really resign. How do you respond? And uh, the Holy Father said, we have some of my friends are angry at the, at the decision I made, which I made freely. But I tell you, there is but one pope. He doesn't say Francis doesn't say, is that pope. He does this all the time. Yeah. This is a common thing. Why did he wear the white papal cassock? Well, he tells Andrea Tornielli in 2014, well, there was no, uh, there was no black cassock to be had at the time. Yeah. Rome has 10 clerical stores within walking distance. And, and by the way, the last 10 years of his life, he never presented himself anything other than the actual office holder of the Pope. The white papal Zucchetto, he's called his holiness. He, he basically retained that. So this is my California driver's license. I could renounce driving in California. I could write a letter to the world. Hey, world, I'm no longer driving in California, I promise. And I could never drive again. But until I hand in that card, I retain the right to drive. And the word, even the word Pope Emeritus, it's, it's canonical, it's anti-canonical word salad. It doesn't, it doesn't mean what people think it means. Emeritus in Latin means he who merits the office. It doesn't mean old retired guy, he who merits the office. And that's his, that was his phrase to describe his, um, his it's status. It's one that he and, chose. I mean, it's, it's yeah. like, look, wh- whether, okay. So I think we're, I think the times are so confusing, right? Like there, there's so many different things going on that I think that anybody who just comes off and says, Francis is the Pope. And anybody who says otherwise is, is blah, 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 blah. It's like, how can you not have empathy for people who are looking at the scenario in the church right now and mm-hmm. not saying something is off? Like something is drastically off, right? Like I've been taught my entire life how marriage is an emblem of the divine, that God is a trinity and that the family and marriage and all these things. And then you have Francis come out with Amoris Laetitia saying that people and starting to mess around with, with the, with the idea of marriage, not, you know, it's like they, they, these things are just so blatant when he makes his comments about uh, breeding like rabbits and who am I to try. I mean, there's the list of things that Francis mm-hmm. has done to purposely confuse people. Mm-hmm. And then when people act like, how are you confused? I find that the most shocking position. Yeah. Uh, trads and conservative Catholics are world champions at trying to square the circle. Uh, prosely- proselytization is bad. Don't, don't become Catholic. That's uh you know, it's not what Jesus would do. Jesus was nice. You're mean by encouraging people to become Catholic. Um, host the head of Moderna and Pfizer at Vatican uh, conferences. Tell, th- describe Emma Bo- um, Bonino, the the premier abortionist premier, uh, the premier abortionist pioneer in Italy. I call her a national treasure. Meet with Kate uh, Perry and um, uh, Leo DiCaprio, but leave Cardinal Burke and the Dubia Cardinals. Ignore them. Mm. Leave Cardinal Zen out in the cold. Uh, ally yourself with all of the enemies of previous popes and reject 
people who exhibit really fervent Catholic evangelical spirit, like people who go to the traditional Latin mass. So I just decided that there's an, there's one option that fits all the facts. And I no longer call Bergoglio, oh, satanic, hypermodernist, globalist, uh, communist. I think he's all those things. But when you say the word antipope, people freak out, even though we've had 30 <laughs> antipopes, like anything but that. So, yeah, it's a strange one. And, and what I really don't like is when people say, by discussing these issues, you're pushing people out of the church because I'm going right. to tell you right now, I left the church after Morris Letizia for two years. And you want to know what brought me back in? A what? conversation you had with Taylor Marshall and Timothy Gordon called Red Pilled on Francis. Mm -hmm. And seeing the three of you sit and have a conversation. And I didn't feel like I was crazy anymore because I was watching everybody Pope's plane away all of these things for, for years at this point. Yeah. And it yeah. was really, really freaking me out. And that, and then that show made me go, okay, these are some mainstream guys willing to say, okay, something is off here because even during the Benedict papacy, like when he would make the, he made the comment one time about like there, there could be a scenario where if somebody wore a condom, it actually could be the first inkling that they're going towards something more. He's talking about somebody who had HIV. If they wore a condom, it was actually a, a, a step towards doing something moral and the media twisted it around. So, of mm -hmm. course, we would defend Benedict in that scenario. But what they were doing with Francis was trying to make it like something he said that was just so off and, yeah. and trying to make it sound normal. And it's like, guys, yeah. please, I'm not crazy. Stop it. Don't yeah, talk right, to me exactly like an idiot. Right. Yeah. Establishment professional Catholics um, are trying to square a circle that you can't square and trying to domesticate a problem. Um, like explaining away your, your drunk uncle who's ruined the party. Oh, he's just not feeling well. No, he's drunk and ruining the party. And it's not a sin to say so. Um, do you know who John Gravino is? No. John would be a good guest for your show. John wrote, uh, now John and I disagree on the papal evidence, but he has an excellent uh, short book called Confronting the Pope of Suspicion. And John's thesis is that Amoris Letizia, which is another kind of um, red pill moment for me, uh, Amoris Letizia is the codification in a magisterial document of all the 1960s and 70s era dissent. It puts in writing all of the dissent principles of the sexual revolution and the Catholic left. He explicitly says that the Argentine bishop's letter on the matter, that yes, there are some circumstances in which civilly divorced and remarried Catholics can receive Holy Communion. Well, that's material heresy. That goes against what Christ reveals, uh, both in, in the Gospels and in First uh, Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. You can't, they don't fit together. And that letter from the Argentine bishop, this is kind of mind-blowing too. You may have heard the phrase AAS, the Acta Apostolica Satis. It's like the, yeah. the official vault of magisterial teaching. Anything that ends up in the AAS is certified, okay, this is what the church really teaches. That letter, which has no authority, is put up into the AAS by Bergoglio. That's that doesn't work. And it's not it's not a sin and it's not disobedient to say so. You know, who used to get tagged like by this all the time is Robert Spencer of Jihad Watch. Um, I've interviewed Robert a bunch of times. And uh, if he if he says, look, a Muslim beheaded a guy in, in, in broad daylight, that's that's Islamophobia. Well, no, I just pointed out what that guy did. Yeah. So it's messenger shooting. Um, so, like, uh, I think somebody um was asking um okay so like what is the 
Like I kind of, I kind of fall in the, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic about a lot of the things going on right now. Like, I just don't know, but I do think it's going to take an act of divine providence to get, here, here's what it is that I'm going to tell a story that I, I, I don't know if I probably should. T- I'm not, I'm going to leave out a lot of details of this because it was something that really happened on Sunday and it was so upsetting to me that it just kind of shows the, the, the state of the church in general right now. So we were at mass on Sunday. I was there for my friend's daughter's first communion. Mm-hmm. Now my friends, uh, his my friend's wife, her father. So his his father in law had a heart attack during the homily, and r- was rushed out during the homily. There are three priests at this parish. Mm-hmm. Not one of the priests thought to go and give this man extreme unction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he was just taken away. And it, it was just such an upsetting thing to me that everyone was just thinking on the natural sense. And out of those three priests that were there, not one of them went. It's like, it's almost like we're in a state of the church where, especially after COVID, where you saw they took the sacraments away from us. It's like they, I don't know there's, if there's no supernatural faith. It seems right. Like there's a total lack of supernatural faith in the sacraments themselves, and it's. I was really devastated about this whole thing the whole day. I was like, I don't understand. Like, why would no priest go out and and that should be the first thing before you call the ambulance. Hmm. So it's like, yeah. you know, you're looking at this this situation in the church and it's just like, they, I, I just feel like everyone just is so quick to defend their position without really thinking about the wider scale of what's really going on in the, in the, in the wider church right now. Um, so David yeah. L. Gray, David L. Gray does a talk for the Hope is Fuel conference. Yeah. Um, he, he actually just asked a question. He said, uh, does, does the cardinal electors who Francis has created have the authority to elect a new pope? The question relates to the log- logical conclusion. So that, that's yeah. that's one I haven't heard you actually address yet. Yeah, it's a good question. The answer would be no. An antipope can't elevate a cardinal, and he can't canonize anybody. So that that follows from from the premises. So do you think there are people in the hierarchy right now that have a strong enough? that have the gumption to even declare Francis an anti-pope. Like, like I, I feel like people are so afraid right now. They'll just keep yeah. going along and go like, it really will take an act of divine intervention. Right. Yeah. I think divine intervention has to accompany acts of courage like that. And, and I also think it's going to get worse. It has to come to a really terrible, unavoidably catastrophic crisis where people go, okay, let's go down. This is like, like the alcoholic who hits the, like absolute rock bottom where the only direction is up. One possible way forward among others, and I'm not a canon lawyer, I'm not a church historian, but I do know that the the cardinals that were appointed by Pope John Paul II and uh, Pope Benedict, which are they're dwindling in numbers now, they could meet and hold an imperfect synod, which is what happened in, in uh, the Council of Sutri, I think the 11th century, S-U-T-R-I. It's a very interesting parallel. Uh, they're, they're certifying that the Holy Father Benedict was the, the true pope. And therefore, the the Argentine is an anti-pope. That could be uh, authoritatively announced and declared. Whether they have the spine to do it, whether there's curiosity enough about that option, and whether they know the evidence that I'm trying to put together. I mean, I I feel like I want to hand over my cache of evidence to smarter people who have more uh, insider connections. I mean, I, I know I'm very blessed to, to have interviewed Cardinal Burke many times, Cardinal uh, Francis Orinze. Um, I don't know the other uh, Doobie Cardinals. I don't have any personal contact with them. There's a retired Archbishop from Poland, a Cardinal Le- Archbishop Lenga, who's fully on board. 
uh, the retired Bishop of Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, Bishop Rene Henry Garcia, who just turned 100. Uh, he was on my show a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of years ago, talking about this. Um, it takes a lot of courage to go against the mob, to go like upstream, like a single salmon against the groovy spirit of the times. But our Lord has always worked through this remnant, this remnant small minority of the faithful. And I don't say that in a prideful way. I'm a sinner. I have many problems. I'm I'm a work in progress. But for some reason, my the scales have fallen from my eyes, and I I I just had an ability to see this. And I knew I say in my first video, there's going to be a lot of angry people here. Um, and I got put on the you know what list, and I'm sure that people are are <laughs> they want to join that bad association bandwagon. But once you decide I, just to let your hair down and tell the truth, you know this, Anthony, I sleep at night. I'm not upset yeah. when I, when my, I call them the professional hand ringers. Like, oh, do you see what Pope Francis said yesterday? They're going to like break their wrists. I, my answer <laughs> is what do you expect? You know? Yeah. I almost, I almost don't care. Like when things start getting worse and worse, because it's like, like you said, like the whole thing has to come crashing down to it. We are so beyond any kind of, natural saving of the church at this point like that like things are things are so um messed up especially if you do think about the people that have been elevated under this pontificate i mean you got mcelroy and all these Mm -hmm. guys like that there's no way that there's going to be some kind of natural solution at this point i only see some kind of a divine intervention at this point Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i had to look it took it took a it's i really have had to think about what road we were going to take by having you on because it's like i know we're going to catch the guilt by association thing and it -hmm. does take a lot of courage to say i really don't care what people think of me it's like i I don't care what your opinion is of me i am struggling with these things i don't i don't necessarily uh say i i just think i have to be humble about it because i am a lay person and a high school dropout i don't think i have any qualifications to make any pronunciations on any of these things so Mm -hmm. i just accept that the only the only answer is to stay within the bosom of the church for the time being it's like Mm -hmm. has your bishop or anybody reached out to you and said anything to you or like are you are you you, do you still go to a diocesan mass Uh, what yeah i I, I go to uh yeah no one no one's no one's reached out to me no. Yeah. Uh, I, I asked people, uh, please debate me on your show. Um, I, I got, it was like the week of shame in the week after February 11th last year, just one podcast after another blogger after blogger, people I know personally, uh, this is sad and tragic. Poor Patrick, pray for the guy, like shaming me. Like I'm, uh, are you saying I'm crazy? Are you saying this is so beyond the pale that we can't even talk about it? Uh, the only guy that had the pair big enough to debate me was Tim Gordon. He had me on for 60 minutes on his show. We did a live debate and it wasn't, it wasn't cantankerous or anything, but um, I, I'm grateful to Tim because he was able to ask all the hard questions that other people attack me on and they assume there's no answer for. So I love the fault, like the question from David L. Gray. It's a very good follow-up question. Uh, John Henry Weston had me on the show either. And I don't think John Henry agrees with me either, but he's willing to say, well, let's clear the deck here. Let's get to first principles. Forget what is said about you. What's your real position? How'd you arrive at this? Yeah. And I, I, that's great. <clears throat> yeah. I think, uh, I think, I, I, I think the, when, when people get irked by you're saying you're not a set of a contest, they don't understand that the set of the term set of a contest has very 
big implications. They're talking about people who think the seat has been vacant since 1950, since Pope Pius the 12th, and that there's mm -hmm. been no Pope ever since then. And right. I don't see how that, I don't see how that's tenable. I, I do think that you're not crazy for coming to the conclusions <laughs> that you've come to. Like it's, it's definitely like, it, it has to be something people actually do think about. Mm -hmm. They're also, uh, there's, I just think that because things are so, oh wait, here's something I did want to, has your, because I know you've taken a very strong stance against the, against the SSPX in the past. Has your stance on that changed at all since since your position you're in now? Um, well, strong stance might be a reasonable conclusion based on the snark factor in some of my tweets on it. Uh, I regard the SSPX as being informal schism. I don't believe they're part of the Catholic Church. Um, they have they have chapels, not parishes. They have districts, not dioceses. They don't follow anything that Rome says. Um, on the other hand, this is a crazy upside down church under Bergoglio. And the people I have admired and said so, like Father Trevor Burfitt out here in California, he's an SSPX priest, basically the only man in a Roman collar that told Governor Hergel to go pound sand. I admire that. It makes me wonder, where are our bishops with their satanic diaper face symbols of their own subjection to tyranny? Where... You have this, you know, the International Gay Fest known as the L.A. Rec. Everyone's masked up. And James Martin and all the all the LGBTQ uh, LMNP people selling sodomy to the church. But no one's fighting the fact that the sacraments have been removed from us. Flipping up your laptop is is been made into the equivalent of going to mass. Meanwhile, I can go to a grocery store and handle fruits and vegetables with no no squirt. No one cares but you need to be protected with hazmat gear from our Lord and Savior in the sacrament. So I admire the stances of, of people like the priests in the SSPX. I do. I think I wish more Catholic prelates had that in them. Um, and I pray for a reconciliation and I, I, I'm probably 98% preferring the traditional Latin mass. Uh, yeah. I love learning more about sacred tradition. There's a whole ocean to learn about sacred tradition that you might not be exposed to if you only go to the nervous ordo. So my, my inclination is to not like adjectives. I just want to be Catholic. I don't yeah. like the adjectivization of our faith. It just creates fiefdoms. And, you know, like I, I like the idea of unity in the church, but the church is not clans. The church is the body of Christ. There's yeah. already the premise of unity. We just need to get back to it. So a uh, strong stance. I mean, that same thing. I could say the same thing about Medjugorje. I'm, I'm convinced with moral certainty that Medjugorje is, is, a, is either a fraud or satanic. And I think there are parallels there. I wrote a, an essay, if folks are interested, in Culture Wars magazine called The Medjugorje Maze. So, but it's funny, if, if you stand up and say, I disagree with this for these reasons, it's kind of labeled, oh, he's kind of a hardliner. Oh, well. <clears throat> See, I, my, my position, especially on people who attend the SSPX, because I, sometimes I have a, sometimes the hardest time I have with people are people who have a reverent Novus Ordo. And the reason why is because I feel like if somebody has a reverent Novus Ordo, they, they presume that most people have access to that. And that like, it's, it's really a, a liturgical wasteland out there. If you really, so the church that this happened at yesterday, that, that's that situation I told you about with a, with the uh, man having a heart attack, mm -hmm. this is an Orthodox preaching parish, but it's, it's the, the liter I mean, they sang amazing grace in America, the beautiful at this mass at this specific mass, they have altar girls all over the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. I watched somebody drop the communion hose. It's like, yeah. 
So I do think a lot of people that go to the SSPX are not going because they think they're the true church or anything. They're going because they want to make sure that their children receive an orthodox teaching of the faith and they want to really not deform their 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 spiritual life. That's an under, very understandable uh, impulse with which I'm sympathetic. Yeah. Um, do we have questions from anybody in the audience? Because I, 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 I would love to see if you guys, if there's something that I'm not asking that you guys would like me to ask. Um, Pat, how, have you had more people step back in to fill some of the spots? Or people, or are you still getting people still dropping out? Oh, no, no. Uh, the, the whole course dropped on Our Lady Help of Christians on May, May 24th. And we're going we're gonna to add more speakers. Once, once word got out that this mimetic desire train of uh, wanting to flee, once that uh, kind of got out there into the ether zone, I had people asking me, please, please include me. This is appalling. Yeah. Uh, I could, there's, you know, I could go down the litany of people who backed out for really silly reasons. Why these otherwise smart people would do an, an unforced error against their own reputations as you know, they have to own that. But well, um, I'll say something we, about the mimetic yeah, desire thing, the mm-hmm. mimetic desire thing. Like there is something, look, we're, if we are going to be coming up on persecution, which I, I mean, if you guys are paying attention to the culture, they're, they found a way to make Christianity evil with mm-hmm. the rainbow stuff. I mean, they found a way to make it like we're the evil ones. We're going to be facing persecution. If you're unwilling to stand up to a very, to the Dawn Edens of the world and say, yeah, I don't care. I'm putting my, I'm putting my thing up over there. What are they? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's like, if you can't stand up to that, what do you think you're going to do when you're really faced with an, with a question of, okay, either spit on this photo of Jesus or we're going to put you in some kind of a prison or something like yeah. that. I don't understand what people's thought process is. Yeah. That's a difference in degree not a difference in kind. Did I, did I see a, a, a meme that you put some like souls in hell screaming? At <laughs> least yeah. I wasn't, I didn't offend people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Because a lot of people do think, look, that, I, I'm telling you, I, we, me and Rob tried to go the route of not offending people for a while. And it's like, they were, we did okay, but it was hard. Is, it is hard. It's like you want to have conversations with interesting people and the non-offensive people are not very interesting. <laughs> it's right. just very milk toast. And it's like, I feel like the, the, the time for fence sitting is really going to be coming to a, a close pretty soon. Yeah. So I, I would like to just have conversations with people who are actually seeing the same things I'm seeing and understanding that this crisis is unique in church history. It's not, it's nothing like we've ever encountered before. Mm-hmm. It's got the whiff of the apocalyptic thing. Uh, I'm not a big end times bandwagon guy, but these are, these are, this is not just bad Pope territory. Here's the kind of bad Pope I could get behind, like a Medici Pope or a a Borgia Pope, uh, where he's, you know, morally reprobate. He buys hookers on Thursday, on Friday, he's, you know, drunk as a skunk, but on Sundays he preaches magnificently and writes awesome encyclicals. So, but he doesn't tinker with the standard of the gospel. That's a bad Pope. Okay. We haven't had very many. And but the Holy Spirit can work through a bad pope. This is weaponized ambiguity. This is targeting the deposit of faith itself. This is actively discouraging people to convert. This is actively going after to try to torpedo one of the highest octane sources of Catholic Orthodoxy, which is the traditional Latin Mass. Ask yourself, why is this attack going on? You know, how do you how else do you understand it? Because we're we're the, the ship of bad pope is left a long time ago. Um so mimetic, mimetic desire, do you want to hit that a little bit? 
Yeah, please, yeah, please. Because so you, I, I had heard that term before, but really, like I, after hearing you speak about it with Tim Gordon, I actually went and I started looking up. Uh, what is it, Renee Gerard or Renee Gerard? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I started looking like, up. Yeah, a couple explainers. So please, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, Renee Gerard was a French philosopher. Ended up teaching at uh, literature in Stanford University for forty years. He's been dead ten years or so. Um, one of his interpreters, or someone who's kind of made his thought popular and and i don't mean popular dumbed down but but accessible to the average reader is luke burgess i always throw people at luke's book it's called wanting uh the subtitle is mimetic desire in everyday life i think it's an excellent book five-star reviews from all over the world in this book and the premise of mimetic desire which gerard also called mimesis is that we are made to imitate others you know we talk about the imitation of christ well we want to be part of the cool kid crowd we, we like scapegoating people. We like office gossip. We like bandwagons. We like trends. We like like really fierce fads. Remember the ice bucket challenge? Yeah. About, uh, yeah stupidest thing in the world. Throw ice cold water on yourself, allegedly to raise money for ALS. Well, it didn't really move the needle on, on that research, but it did provide people like, <laughs> this is a bandwagon. I want to be part of this. I want to be part of it, even yeah. though it's totally well, the uncomfortable. Black Square after George Floyd. Everyone yeah, Black Square. So I don't the black square, yep. everyone had to post on Instagram after George Floyd. That was it. Cause my, because I'll, I'll, I'll admit something here. My wife posted it, not knowing what it was. And I said, why did you post that? She goes, I don't know. Everybody's post. I said, take that thing right. down right now. You don't even know what you're doing. Get out yep. of this group thing. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, stand with Ukraine, pray for Paris. And this like, Hey, what, why don't you, ha- do you hate black people? Why isn't your square? Put your square up. Yeah. Pure mimesis. Yeah. And so when people, when they see a swarm as the, like the, I call it the teenage subway swarm that happened to me and, and the hope is fuel. Um, that gets people's attention. Oh, it's safe now to attack Patrick. I think I'll attach him to attack him too. I'll actually do a five minute video against me as Jenny Roback Morse did getting everything I believe about B16 wrong, but that doesn't matter because that there's that virtue signaling thing that people it's like catnip. They, they, they have to do it. It seems, um, the ultimate example of mimetic desire is when is what happened in Holy Week, where the innocent savior was scapegoated by everybody. So it became all against one and all of the all the rage of the world and all our sins were cast on his shoulders and he was expelled from the city and where he was crucified. Yeah. So the killing of Christ, the king is the, the kind of the, the, the ultimate example of, of mimetic desire. You also see this in sports fights. Like if uh, I grew up playing competitive hockey. hockey and if you watch a fight in hockey, um, it, usually it's a buildup of several games or some several incidents. Maybe some of the guys, you know, dropped their gloves and got to it. And there's this really intense rivalry. Well, if it's a uh, bench clearing brawl or even if it's just a single fist fight, the sight of blood on the ice, like if someone really gets uh, gets attacked and injured, that is the end of it. There's this. Yeah silence that goes through the whole rink and that was the expulsive moment it's like it's like all the tension is exercised through that clash and this is the clash that that people uh, try to artificially gin up another example of mimetic desire happened in the vietnam war with the melee massacre you may have heard of that yeah, yeah, yeah. lieutenant Callie, you know they just opened fire for like four hours on this killing spree there were no vc uh, soldiers there and they were like killing elderly and kids and families that had nothing to do with the war. That's groupthink. 
it's uh, it explains why people stand around watching a sexual assault and do nothing because mm-hmm. individually they're appalled that they're doing it. And actually, t- now I don't know about you, the, the three priests and nobody did anything when the, your heart attack, unfortunate yeah. story that may have been at play there too, because it, th- you have to break a taboo to stand up and be the one to go first. So once that first person goes over the, over the hell, over the top, then people go, Oh yeah, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. You want to pray that you're that first guy because hope is really contagious. Courage is contagious. So let's, yeah. let's have people imitate the right things. Nothing wrong what with imitating. The, what was the thought process for you when you said, okay, I'm finally, I'm, I, I have to say this publicly because I'm not, I'm not kidding. I think there are a lot more people who hold your thesis, mm-hmm. but do not have the courage to say it. I do. I think there are many people who believe a certain thing about Francis, but they know if they said publicly what they really believed, they would be turned into the Patrick Pariah. So like, what, did you have to think this over before you came out publicly with it? Or was this, did this come kind of naturally for you? Um, well, not, not really. I'm, I don't consider myself extra brave. Uh, I get nervous. I, I have insecure feelings. I, I don't want to lose my livelihood. I knew there would be pushback. I knew the, the pariah thing would be in play. I didn't know to what extent. And I, I didn't know how long-term it would be, but I think the thesis just keeps vindicating itself over and over. And I don't want to pray that things get worse, but they are getting worse. Yeah. And they, I think things are coming to that, that rock bottom crisis point that you alluded to where people, okay, the scales fall. This does not make any sense. I've got to stop spoke. I have to stop Pope explaining to myself. Cause a lot, I know I, I have a fair amount of evangelical friends and they're, they're all like, oh yeah, no, it's just, the, he can't be the real Pope. This guy's obviously a communistic Marxist. He's, he's against the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, you're, you're outside the Catholic fold and you see it clearly. It's funny, like, because for all the talk of ecumenism, it's like you've never had somebody. I mean, all of my interactions with Protestants have been, oh, really? You Because because when you're as a Catholic, you're trying to argue that, OK, well, look, the, the Pope is this, the Pope is this. And then they just throw you some some quote Francis and you're like, oh, look, I know. I know. But like, this is different. Yeah. Like, and they're like, oh, really? Is it different? This is, and, and they make the assumption that this has always gone on throughout history. But we are in a very unique scenario right now that I, I, I don't know how to make sense of it. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know if you're right. I don't I don't I don't know if you're sure. wrong. I don't know. Well, people can check out my interviews with uh, with Matthew Hanley, who's the former award winning Catholic ethicist used to be with the National Catholic Bioethics Center. He did two pieces in front page. Um, uh, front page magazine, um, the book Pope Emeritus question mark. The always is also a forever. There's lots out there. Um, probably more to come. Um, I'd like to see more Canon lawyers get, get, you know, the bloodhound sent here. Uh, I'm not a trained Canon lawyer, but a lot of Canon lawyers are part of the, of the Borg. They work for dioceses. So their, their paycheck is contingent on them being on that leash. Right. Just like the, the whole EWTN, um, mainstream Catholic incorporated, they're all afraid of their own precious reputations and they're afraid of, they've got donor phobia. That's, that's. Did you used to be on that circuit? Were you on the Catholic speaker circuit? Like, did you used to go to parishes and give talks and stuff? All the time. 
I shared the stage with with all the people that I could list. Yeah, yes, very. And that, very and that when did that? When did that? Because there definitely is like you still see a lot of those guys are able to. I mean, I think George Weigel is still giving the same talk that I heard on Lighthouse mm-hmm. Catholic Media fifteen years ago, as if we're still under John Paul II right now. It's like, yeah. what what year are you in, George? What's yeah, going like on? A, yeah, it's the ecclesial equivalent of living in a September tenth world. It's so strange, and yeah. even look at the regular world around us. How much it's changed since Francis's. Mm-hmm come into yeah. the papacy. I mean, yeah, one of the, one of the, one of the uh, presenters at Hope is Fuel is Father Jeff Langan. He's the uh, uh, Catholic chaplain at a place called Harvard University. And his whole session is on how uh, Catholics today still use 1980s categories to try to understand the world today. Yeah. Where, where John Paul II and Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher, all those, the, the, the paradigmatic realities there have shifted entirely. And more and more Catholics on secular campuses like like Harvard are more and more based. They're super red-pilled. He had 30 baptisms from his Newman Center at Harvard. That's like a ginormous, like sprawling parish of thousands of families. Yeah. So something's going on. People, um, Zoomers, people under 30, they don't, they don't have those old boomer categories. It's of no interest to them. They don't care. They don't know who Walter Cronkite is. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they don't, they're not fighting the fist fights of second wave feminism. They just want to know what's true. And they have an eye for, for a true North, which is why I love interviewing people like Naomi Wolf. Uh, I've interviewed Jordan B. Peterson four times. Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. I mean, lapsed Catholics. I've interviewed atheists. You interviewed I, Gavin McInnes, which I thought I did, was yeah. one of the, I thought that was one of the, everybody was like, I can't believe Patrick's interviewing Gavin McInnes. Like first off, Gavin, I don't know where he is with his faith right now, but Gavin, like his whole the, the stupid Proud Boys thing really did start with Gavin encouraging people to stop looking at pornography yeah. and to get married young. Like that was the origins of Proud Boys. It never was about politics even. And it was like, mm-hmm. I, I was, I've always been impressed by the people you've chosen to have on your show that are outside of the mainstream box. It, it, yeah. it really, especially during COVID, I mean, to have Robert F. Kennedy come on and then winds up, he's going to one, now he's running for president. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I call them outsider insiders. Yeah. These are people that actually do th- like even um, I, I said, uh, cause I spoke with Eric Sammons recently about Dave mm-hmm. Smith. Dave Smith's a, a, he's a libertarian, but he probably will be the libertarian candidate, but he was on Tim Pool's show and he started talking about abortion and he's like, abortion really kind of is the centerpiece of the leftist ideology because without it, the whole sexual revolution for No, he's thinking like a Catholic. Mm-hmm. He's, He's Jewish, but he's thinking like a Catholic. And, and I think that we're in a period of time now where it's never been easier to point out to people the absurdity of not being Catholic. If you just look around the world, yep. everything collapsing. Yeah, and you see, just in that example there, that's uh, a culture in free fall. He can see the damage and he notices trends. And the trend is the left's um, fetish for abortion. It's so obvious that people outside the Catholic fold can see Something going on there. Raquel Welch, who had 60s, 70s sex symbol icon, wrote an essay in um, 2010 in, uh, for CNN. And she blamed her four marriages and all her life mistakes and the, the fact that, hey, where are we going? Why are we in this handbasket? To birth control. Yeah. Birth control uh, was the Pandora's, Pandora's box that allowed not only abortion, but uh, the LGBT and the Obergefell Hodges decision. My first book's called The Contraception Deception. It's all, it goes back to the truce of 1968. When Paul VI wrote this document, this encyclical Humanae Vitae, it was ignored, it was derided, and bishops refused to discipline um, 
theologians and confessors who dissented. There was no disciplining of these priests. So the teaching went underground. And thanks be to God, it's now kind of, it's, it's finding its footing well, again because things are so bad. Like I said, Calvin Robinson actually mentioned that. Yeah. But he said, like, that book changed his whole mind on, really, listen, once you understand what, once you understand the idea of, once you separate sex from the conjugal act, mm-hmm. it's, it's, like, what we're seeing now is inevitable. It's, yeah, like, yeah. It's inevitable. Catholic, it was. Yeah. Catholic men who have their wives on birth control, or they, they make that decision as a couple, have made their wives into an elaborate masturbation tool. Yeah. And how do you, how do you argue against sex with a tree or a goat? I'm not saying that to be provocative. The, the, the logic of it is ironclad. You cannot argue against any other form of sexual perversion if you've already, uh, in your intention, decided that sex can be shorn from conception. You have what Germain Grisey calls a practical hatred of the new human person. Not an emotional hatred, but you foresee, look, if, if we have the sex act, conception is possible. So we're going to have the sex act and act against the coming to be of that new human person. And that's why the Oberg- the uh, Griswold versus Connecticut decision of the Supreme Court in 1965 was the foundation for Roe v. Wade in the, in the, um, the argument that there's a right to privacy as a penumbra in the Constitution, which is yeah. absurd. So yeah. that's, that's the, birth control is the taproot of trans, of the normalization of hardcore pornography, the gay rights movement, so-called, and abortion. It all stems to contraception. Now, it's all those things, and they all are rooted in that. But at the same time, I think that we are seeing a return of these ancient demons that once roamed the earth. Because <clears throat> you can really see, like, in, in, the, in the drag queen story hour, for instance, mm-hmm. if you look at the priests of Sibylle, the priests of Sibylle were castrated men who wore women's clothing, who they, people brought their children to go and see. So you're starting to see that people are actually worshiping these ancient gods, but they don't know that's what they're doing. Yeah. But it really, once you don't have a sacramental understanding of the world and your intellect is no longer enlightened by the sacraments, mm-hmm. you see how far your intellect gets darkened and you see that in yeah. everyday life. Do you know where this is reflected? In two scenes in The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. I want to get to, I want to, get to Mel in a second. One scene is uh, the, the appearance of Jesus in front of Herod at the order of Pontius Pilate. Remember that? He's standing there. He's like mute as a, as a lamb. And Herod's kind of taunting him with this kind of little, little girlish makeup. There's one shot after another of the people in that room. And half of them look like trannies. They're like weird, ambisexual, strange, and they all have this sort of gaunt look. And they're like staring at our Lord as if to say, can you get me out of here? And a lot of them, they can't, they can't meet eye contact and they kind of look away. Um, I have to go back and watch that now. Yeah, that scene is pretty riveting. All the cast of characters, there's like a, a leopard on, in, in a, on a leash. It's all kind of weird, like subliminally an orgy just happened or something crazy e- like that. Even, even his portrayal of Satan as androgynous like that, how, how pathetic. Yeah. That was the second point, Anthony. Yeah, he cast oh, an sorry, actor. Yeah, yeah no, this, this Italian actress playing Satan. Satan's trans. This is 20 yeah. years ago. He kind of saw, and that's, you know, he probably wasn't intentionally being a prophet, but that that image of the androgynous Satan was- Yeah, that was uh, such a prophetic. prophetic, a prophetic interpretation of what Satan is. And it's like, you yeah. guys, you really have to think about, this is, what, when did he make that movie? Oh, two, oh, three? It's like- yeah, oh, oh, It came out in oh, four. 
this was unheard of back then, right? Like we weren't dealing with, it was like, we hadn't even gotten to, to we were still at the Seinfeld. Uh, well, there's not that there's anything wrong with that. Like that's where we were at that point in time. So to go from that and, and Mel really did have a deep insight. I think at least yep. either that, or maybe, maybe he was being, you know, inspired from somewhere. Yeah. So can I mention Mel? Because it, it applies to the hope is fuel, by the way, it's hope is fuel.com. Slash yeah, I'm sorry, Patrick. I'm terrible. Right, no problem. <laughs> I want to see. We don't talk about any of this in the course. That's the irony. This is yeah. all one big fat distraction from jaw dropping, really life changing conversations. All of them. From I, 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 just real quick, yeah. I actually purchased my subscription to Hope is Fuel on Friday. Oh, um, Pat set, Patrick set it up in a way where you can do four payments. You don't have to do it all in one lump sum. It's actually really yeah. well done. And so you're saying more speakers are going to be added to that list though, that I've Absolutely. already seen on there. Yes, oh, 100%. I'm excited now. That's great. Yeah. We're, There's a couple uh, in there that I'm already excited to listen to. So yeah, we're going to build this up over time. The it's, uh, we call it our signature Catholic course. So it will yeah. always be added to. We might switch to a uh, membership model. We're not sure. This is If we wanted to make money off this, we would have done something totally different with our lives. This is about getting the word out and literally providing hope. Ryan, my, my business partner, who would be a great guest for you, by the way, he can tell the whole story of how he bought this URL back in 2014, hopeisfuel.com. Yeah. And when he and I began to finish each other's sentences on how this, lo- this lack of hope is one of the universal things in this world. The far left is lacking in hope. Daily Mass going TLM, TM, uh, TLM Catholics are lacking in hope. We all have this in common. There's this pall of despair, uh, whether it's Chinese spy balloons or Biden or a laptop and um, UFOs. The, the 24-7 fear porn machine is like relentless. And that's what we decided to punch, punch in the face and, and yeah, be, so- be some kind of antidote. The way we've been handling that is really trying to explain to people that the, the story of Judas is – very baked into the story of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So I think when, when people are seeing the things that are happening now, they're losing their minds and they're like, why is this happening? Why? Because you have to understand that Cain kills Abel. You have to understand that Joseph gets sold into slavery by his own brothers. And you have to understand that Judas Christ's brother sells him for 30 pieces of silver. And what yeah. we're witnessing right now is a Judas hour. And this is very much part of the Christian story. And God chose us to be mm-hmm. alive during this time. Don't think you're and you're in some horrible time. Look, there's never been a more exciting time to be Catholic. Yeah, I and agree. we, sh- yeah, we should be we should be striving for sainthood more than ever because where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. You're preaching my, you're singing my song. Absolutely, crisis. It's a Chinese phrase. A crisis does not build character; it only reveals it. And yeah. you can you can change your you can change your character. It just takes the the decision to change your character. My late great spiritual director, Father Bob Bedard, part of his morning prayer was, Lord, today I'm not ready, but I'm willing. Rob, so back to Mel. A, oh, just to okay, Mel. Yeah, finish your Mel story. I'm yeah, sorry. Just I to make it to the, the finish line. This is something I have to credit Tim Gordon. He came up with it when Ryan and I were on his show a couple of weeks back, and it's really brilliant. If you imagine any of the EWTN, relevant radio, or professional Catholic class that have shows or have blogs, what would happen if Mel Gibson's press agent said, Mr. Gibson would love to come on your show. Would you like to talk about the sequel to The Passion of the Christ? They would wet themselves with ecstasy, right? Well, wait a second. (laughs) You want to associate yourself with someone who's been called an anti-Semite 10 million times? Who's in, drum roll, 
an actual sedative contest. <laughs> He's the embodiment of Patrick and E. Michael Jones all in one. This <laughs> yeah. evil character. Yeah. You're gonna tell me this one Catholic wouldn't be jumping at the yeah. at the opportunity to have a conversation with Mel Gibson. Yeah. So the question, the difference between Patrick Coffin and Mel Gibson, kind of answers itself. <laughs> I, yeah. need to, I need to crank out some A-list movies and maybe uh, <laughs> give more respect. I- <laughs> I'll I'll just say this, Patrick. I, like from early on in my faith, you've always been somebody who had a very big hand in teaching me my Catholic faith. And you, hours upon hours of entertainment while I'm sitting in traffic on the Long Island Expressway. And <laughs> the, it's listen, it's kind of it's kind of strange to be speaking to some because I, I'm not even gonna. It's a weird thing to say I'm a fan of yours because I really just think you're a fellow Catholic who happens to have a very good talent of having good conversations, doing really good research. And I've admired you from a distance for a very long time. I'm so happy I got the chance to talk to you. Thanks, um, yeah. We're definitely going to get into some questions from the audience because Rob starred yeah. a whole bunch of them. So, Rob, why don't you go through some of those? <clears throat> okay. Well, uh, first, since we were talking about Rene Girard, um, who do you like more, Rene Girard or Marshall McLuhan? Oh, boy, what a great question. I have to go with Marshall McLuhan, not just because he was born in Canada as I was. Uh, <laughs> René Girard changed his views quite a bit. He admitted he was wrong on the nature of Christ's sacrifice. So I credit him with you know, humility. Sometimes people at that that uh, one top 1% PhD um, ivory tower thing, they don't, they're not exactly open to being wrong, but Monsieur Girard was. Uh, and I think as insightful, I even hate to, I hate to say which one I like better because they're both very profound thinkers. Marshall McLuhan has been, I think he wrote for more years. I think he, he, he produced more books and I had the chance to, to interview his son, Eric, may he rest in peace, who was kind of handing the, the McLuhan baton forward in his work. The reason I, I appreciate Marshall McLuhan so much is that he was talking about things Decades ago, the people like this doesn't. Where are you going with this? Like in 1962, he wrote he wrote a book called The Gutenberg Galaxy, where he essentially described the internet long before it ever arrived, before Al Gore invented it. You know, (laughs) um, he uh, his insight into the medium is the message. The medium is the message is such a rich, compressed four words, and I believe that Paul VI had a Marshall McLuhan book on his nightstand. Because McLuhan was made uh, a consultant to the Pontifical Council for Social Communications and in 1973. In 75, uh, Evangelii Nunciandi came out, which is the apostolic exhortation on evangelization. I think it's the best thing that Paul VI wrote. It's better written than Humana Vitae is. Yeah. And I think it's number 22 of that document. I could be wrong. But he talks about that people will accept Catholics who are teachers of the faith only if they're witnesses. Now, how does that fit to the medium is the message? Well, you are, you by your decisions, by your kindness, by your patience, your life is a walking homily for people who are not going to read the catechism. So you, the message of the gospel is how you are, your character, your vices and your virtues. Um, McLuhan also said that the answer to every problem is inside the problem. So think about the problem of the crucifixion. Well, the answer to it is inside it. It's in the person of Christ who knows that in three days, the Father is going to raise him to glory. And what looks like failure is actually the beginning of the whole new creation, where the worst evil, not just that has happened, that could ever happen, did happen in the murder of God on the cross. 
which led to the greatest imaginable good, the redemption of the world and, and our salvation. So, um, yeah, McLuhan's is endlessly fascinating. He's got a lot of really uh, paradoxical isms that just kind of, they're, they're like mind candy to me. So yeah, I love those. I, I'm, I'm in the McLuhanism. <clears throat> I'm in the McLuhan camp for that reason. Uh, what do you got next, Rob? Is there someone that you wouldn't have as part of like the Hope is Fuel conference um, for whatever reason? <laughs> for instance, like Don's probably not serious with this. He likes to joke, but yeah. I mean, just out of curiosity, like where would, um, where would you draw the line personally? Well, if the question is, uh, would he, uh, would I have someone at the Hope is Fuel event, that course? Yeah. Uh, James Martin would be a strong no. Uh, I have invited James Martin to debate me many, many, many times on Twitter, back channel. Let's have a conversation. He won't, he won't engage. Uh, so I'm not, I don't, I don't have any allergy to appearing uh, in a conversation with James Martin. I just know that he will, he will never do it. He's, he's a sniper from, from behind the shrubbery. Um, I can't even believe I have to say this at this point. I probably wouldn't have a pedophile. <laughs> probably, uh, you know, a, a murderous Tommy bastard probably not going to happen. Um, no, but let, let me just say, let me jump in real quick because it, you, so many of your problems that you're catching right now could have been solved by just taking E. Michael Jones out of the out of it. Because uh, yeah, uh, no, more no people doubt. were turned off by E. Michael Jones's position than you, I think. But the two of you together, it was the whole Mel Gibson thing, right? It's like, well, but yeah, yeah well, like he, you stood he, tall and said, "I'll never take my friend and." my this person out because i won't follow this mimetic desire that you all have yeah i've never met him uh i believe in open discourse and proving people wrong uh he wasn't even talking about any of the controversy he was talking about how how we know god has a plan for your life and uh francis doesn't occupy any of the content of any of the speakers maybe one casual reference but that's not what this this course is about this is about intentional discipleship and i have to wonder just the 11th hour timing of all the white noise and all this kind of strange persecution, who was behind that? Uh, preternaturally speaking, because the enemy does not want us to have hope. He wants yeah. to keep us afraid because if we're afraid, we're manipulable to the cabal running this whole show. So uh, we believe in punching fear in the face. We don't want people to be average. We want them to be magnificent and not the best version of themselves, but a new creation. You know, Jesus didn't come so we, we could do some self-improvement. He came to make us whole and the sacraments, especially confession is heart surgery. It's not a, it's not a, a car wash. So we want, we want people to take their baptism seriously. And with that comes something you alluded to earlier, Anthony, and that is in the footnote or the, the, the fine print of your baptism certificate, there's a little reminder. Christ says, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you too. Yeah. So persecution like this is a sign of something going right. Don't be afraid of it. It's just part of it. And if you feel afraid, just do the right thing anyway. That's courage. Feeling afraid and doing the right thing anyway. What's chastity? It's feeling sexually tempted, but not doing anything, but staying chaste. What is patience? Feeling like you want to throttle the guy, but you don't. So the, the virtue becomes active in the presence of its opposing vice. And the same thing goes with fear and courage. Yeah. That was a long answer. I hope that would help. <laughs> Uh, what do you got next? Have you got any other good ones? Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the vision that was had by um, a Colombian nun. Uh, I think yeah. it was earlier this year. Yeah, um, correct. Bogus. But, um, okay. Yeah. You think it's bogus? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think I think I'm always weary of uh, apparitions, unless they, you know, except for Fatima and the ones that are approved by the church. Like I think a lot of times people go chasing mm-hmm. chasing these things way too often. They get too caught up in them. They get end times hysteria. I don't think you need to have any of that to really understand. Okay, we're in the, we're in a moment right now. This mm-hmm. isn't about apocalyptomania. This is about just really seeing that, look, we're, we're in a very specific part of the Christian story that could still mean there's three, 400 years left could mean 4,000 years left. doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're in some kind of unveiling at the moment is, is my stance mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. I agree in full. We don't need it. Okay. Let's see. Um, I, I guess I'm not sure what this is referring to, but maybe maybe one or both. Okay, so James are. Lindsay does a lot of work on uh, the woke stuff. So he actually mm-hmm. recently watched a Father Ripperger talk on how the demonic and communism, like the demonic is behind communism. So I guess that's what this question is about. What do you mm-hmm. guys think of James Lindsay? Do you see that he's been talking about Father Ripperger's demonology talks on the one hand while going hard against Christian nationalism on the other hand? I- yeah, I, I'm not that familiar, but I've been following him for a while. I think he's got a lot of... Uh, really interesting insights. He's obviously open-minded. He's listening to Father Chad Ripperger. <laughs> and so he's taking uh, uh, all of the, the content of actual Catholicism and he's grappling with it and he sees that it makes sense. Uh, the Christian nationalism thing is one of those other devil, it's a devil term. And some people, they, they don't analyze beneath it. State of Vicantism is a devil term. Um, anti-Asian hate is a devil term. Yeah. All, all the all the accusation of uh, of racism, it's often just a devil term to to neutralize or shut down debate. But you know, like Jordan B. Peterson, uh, Jordan knows where True North is. He's on a journey. You know, just let let people be imperfect in the way they discover things. It took me a long time yeah, we, to sort we, out all the Francis stuff. We had uh, Tom Holland, who's a secular historian, <clears throat> went into and he wrote the book Dominion. And I know I'm going to catch flack from people for not pushing back on some of his ideas. Anthony, your Italian hands is causing your camera to focus in. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, but there, it's like we wound up getting to the root of something that he said during COVID, he started living according to the liturgical calendar. So this is a Hmm. guy who went into writing this book as an atheist, then becomes agnostic. Then he's now attending church services and living according to the church calendar. It's like, Sometimes it's not worth it to be combative to a person like that and kind of just mm-hmm. let their journey unfold and let let them experience Christ. And and I mean, I'm pretty sure Christ is at work in that man's heart already. He doesn't yeah. need me telling him how, how wrong he is on his thing. Correct. So. Yeah. Uh, John four, the woman at the well. Yeah. Uh, what, what is uh, this is a beautiful line from my spiritual father, Archbishop Sheen. What does divine purity itself have in common with a, with a woman with five hundreds or five husbands? Answer, a love of cold water on a hot day. That's the basis of their conversation. <laughs> and he just lets her go from, from hey, buddy, to sir, to master, to lord, just, just by listening to her and letting her yeah. just kind of pour her heart out with, with gentleness. There's a, there's a saying attributed to, to uh, Plato, and it's, be kind to everyone you meet, because everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I, I, so I yesterday I went to my, uh, my every time I see my animals, I'm, I have a tendency to try to evangelize them every time I go. Yep. And I, I promised my wife, I'm like, all right, I'll leave it alone this time. I won't do it. And my brother-in-law tells me, he goes, hey, Aunt, I, I just want you to know my neighbor came over yesterday and gave me this book called The Warning. Now, this book, The Warning, is about the illumination of conscience and stuff. But when my sister read this book she read this book and she went from living 
in uh, in living with her fiance as basically a concubine to breaking off her engagement and going and discerning a vocation to become a nun. Now, my mm -hmm. sister is now she just went for she applied for a, uh, an aspirancy. She just got her uh, psych evaluation done. So to me, I'm saying, how can this be God not intervening in some way that he wants? Mm -hmm. I mean, I went in saying I'm not going to talk about God today. When he mentioned that, that was it. The conversation started and they're never yeah. tense conversations they are always led with curiosity on his part. And mm -hmm. I mean, I'm really praying for my in-laws conversion now. That's it. <laughs> That's cool. It's possible to be annoyingly Catholic. Just wait for the open door. You know, our Catholics <laughs> love First Peter 3.15. Always have a ready reason for those who ask you the faith that's in you or the hope that's in you. Yeah. Well, what, what is he saying? <laughs> Be ready. Yeah. Not bring it up constantly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you have an open door, okay, now, now, now the horse is thirsty. Now you can offer the cold water to the horse or to, or to the woman at the well. That, that's a really good analogy. Got any other good ones, Rob? Well, um... I know you had mentioned that you're not really big into, into the end times, um, you know, sort of prophecy and, and, and mindset. Um, so I don't know if that needs to be answered so, more fully. So I believe we're in the final end times or does he, I think we're only going through yet another cycle of tribulation apostasy. Uh, the answer is I put away my crystal ball for, for good and forever. I don't know the answer. I do know there are certain signs that, that sacred scripture says will accompany the return of Christ like the great apostasy, that's clear. You look at the massive loss of faith all over Europe in former, formerly strongholds of Catholicism like Malta, Ireland, Quebec, the whole bulk of the Americas. It's just all fallen into lukewarm mush and, and practical atheism. That's the great apostasy, I think. Um, there's no great rush for Jews to become Catholics, at least not yet. Paul says in I think it's Romans 9 that uh, in the end, before Christ returns, all Israel will be saved. Don't quite see that. Um, there are wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines. That gets a little bit tricky. You have to discern the signs of the times because because of the Internet, events happen with the same frequency, but they're reported on instantly from all over the world. So that gives the appearance, oh, my gosh, can you believe this? Another tornado. Well, yeah, you just know about that one. They've been yeah. happening at the same frequent, you know, same uh, kind of, I guess, frequency. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know the answer. We are in the end times since the the incarnation is the announcement of the end times. We've always been in that mode. We're waiting for Christ to return, but that becomes something you mentioned earlier, Anthony. People get itchy ears about this, and it's almost like a, a temporal arrogance where we want these special biblical times to be our times. And yeah. we start to see it everywhere, even if it's not there. Why do, you, why do you think that is? Like, I have this theory that no generation is comfortable with life going on perfectly fine after they're gone. Like, every generation is like, it's very uncomfortable at the idea of the world just existing for a thousand years after I'm gone. I really think that yeah. every everyone is so, so like, maybe just self-centered that they're like, no, 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 I'm in the end times. I, everything's going to be gone after I'm gone. Yeah. Yeah. I have the special lollipops and fancy pants. This is my time. And either <laughs> I'm going to be part of, part of, part of the heroic fight to, you know, you know, to uh, defeat evil or whatever. It reminds me of another quote attributed to Napoleon. Um, and it's uh, the, the cemeteries are filled with indispensable men. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit of humility goes a long way. Yeah. Do you have any other good ones, Rob? That's really about it. Patrick, man, I'm I, first off, I, I mean, I reached out to you. You answered me right away. I'm like, 
we, we really have nothing to offer you. We're a small little channel and I really am <laughs> grateful that you came on. And I, 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 I really, I'm, it was really exciting to talk to someone who really did have such a huge impact on my faith and my reversion and, and awesome. so much entertainment through the years. So, um, okay. So guys, hope is fuel. We have the, we have the, um, is, do you still do the Patrick Coffin show though? Cause the last one I saw up was six months ago. Yeah. I'm going to be, uh, giving that a jolt of champagne at some point soon. Yeah. I'll have uh, fresh content out. That's, that's uh, I'm trying to sort that out because hope is fuel is, has made Ryan and I, my co-founder sip water from a fire hydrant, but we're going to get that. We're also going to do other specialized courses. Um, and, and we're probably, we might adopt a different model for those. Like our next event, it's going to be four or five physicians and alternative healthcare providers that are not providing official medical advice, but it's called hope is we think we're going to go with hope is fuel vaccine regret. What can you do? If you got the injection and you you regret it and you're scared about myocarditis, you're scared about you know threats to fertility or whatever it is, there are things that can be done, and we want to we want to provide people with hope from that because that's this is an international problem of. of I would say the regret. biggest fear with that shouldn't be what are the, even the side effects. The biggest hope, the biggest fear you should have from that is will you be strong enough to stand up the next time they try to force something on you? Because that was mm-hmm. the whole purpose of that thing was to get you who knew something was off with that and force you to go against what you knew was wrong because they were Mm -hmm. preparing you for something. So if you gave in the last time, you really need to figure out why you gave in and what is going on with that. That's a, that would be an excellent presentation. The, the psychological wearing you down. And I've, I, I don't know why Anthony, I'm not a genius. I'm not a, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I figured out in, in the spring of 2020 that this mask was a proxy dress rehearsal of compliance for a jab that was going to arrive. If you're going to, if you're going to impede your breathing over this thing for uh, such a a relatively benign condition for most people, then you're going to be a a complete sucker for the, for the vaccine push when it comes and it came. Oh yeah. Yeah. So if you didn't have it in you to say no to the mask, then you had no way. You didn't have it in you to say no to the jab. And all I'm saying is, look, we know now what we know now, clearly this thing was not what they said it was. So if you gave into that, you need to really prepare yourself for whatever they're going to bring us next. They're going to bring something next. It's not, mm-hmm, what do you think mm-hmm. they're done? You think they set up this whole infrastructure for what they did during that to just say, okay, we don't need it anymore. And that's it. No, that was all a preparation yeah. for something that's coming down the road mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. So. yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for the invite and don't call me a fan, uh, Anthony. I prefer a worshiper. If you <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, thank you so much for giving us your time. Hang out and we're going to talk in the green room for one second. Rob, take us out. Okay.